Well, good morning. Welcome to Element Church. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to welcome you to our third and final week of our series titled Help Wanted. Now, it's no secret to most everyone in this room that in the current state of employment in our country, there's a lot of help wanted. Everywhere you go, you see help wanted signs posted in windows and on front doors, um, a lot driven by retail and uh, the restaurant industry of just needing more workers. But it's not just fast food restaurants and clothing stores that are recruiting. As we've talked about the last two weeks, um, God is recruiting. That God is recruiting you to join into his kingdom and to get on board by using your skills and your gifts, your talent and your time to grow and to build and to serve the mission of God's kingdom. In week one, we talked about how God has given all of us gifts. In his sovereign wisdom and by his grace, God has given everyone a gift. And he has called all of us to use our gifts to serve others and to glorify him. In week two, last week, we talked about how all of us are called to ministry. If you're sitting in here this morning and you would call yourself a Christian, if you would say, I'm a follower of Christ, I have given my heart and my life to serving and to following Jesus, then the Bible says you are called to ministry. Ministry is not reserved for certain titles or positions within a church. Ministry is not reserved for those who are specially trained or educated for such a task. Ministry is not reserved for people who are on staff and get paid by a church. Ministry is for all of us. And within that, as all of us are called to ministry, sometimes God will raise up certain individuals and give them as a gift to the church to help equip and train all of us for ministry. And so I have some questions for you this morning that I just want you to think about and reflect on. These are rhetorical, so there's no need to answer them. Though if you want to elbow the person you're sitting next to, I'll approve of that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so as, as we've been talking about the ways in which God has been recruiting us to join in with his ministry and mission and building his kingdom, as we talked about how God has given all of us gifts to serve one another and to glorify him, one of my questions for you is this. How are you currently using your gifts to serve others and to glorify God? How are you currently, right now, using your gifts to serve others and glorify God? Now, for some of you, it's easy to answer that question right away. And for some of you, it takes some thought and consideration. You have to think about it for a little bit. And here's what I would argue. If you have to think about it for a little bit, then you're not using your gifts intentionally. Now, maybe unintentionally, coincidentally, you might be utilizing some of your gifts to serve others. But God has called all of us to use our gifts intentionally to serve others and to glorify him. And here's my other question. If it's really true that all of us have been called to ministry, 
that everyone sitting in this room this morning is a minister, that in the last week, how have you ministered to others? Now, that could be to people in your, who live in your house. It could be to people who live on your street. It could be people who live in this community or whatever community you are a part of. It could be ministering to people you work with. It could be ministering to people who live far away. But who, over the last seven days, have you ministered to? Now, it's great for us to show up on Sunday and to talk about these things in theory. And that's good and necessary. Because we need to talk about them. We need to be informed about them. We need an opportunity to learn something new or to be challenged. But more than just coming and sitting and listening and learning, we want to be doing. And so as we wrap up this series, I hope it's informational to you. Maybe for some of you last week, it was the first time anyone has ever told you, you are a minister and you've been called to ministry. But I hope in addition to learning, we're also challenged to put these things into practice, to actually serve one another and to glorify God. Because how different would our communities be if all of us were equipped and deployed for ministry and service to others? So we've talked about a couple of the purposes of the church. And when we say the church, we don't mean a building or budgets, or programs. We mean the people. The church is not a what, it's a who. And so one of the purposes of the church, of one of our purposes as the people, is to grow and build up others. Today, what I want to do is take a little bit of a left turn and look at another one of the significant purposes of the church, of us, the people, And we're going to do that in Matthew chapter 28. And so if you want to open up your Bibles or your phone or your tablet, if you don't already have the Bible app installed on your phone, you can scan this QR code and it'll just open up in a web browser and you can follow along with us this morning. Now, if you've got a lot of history in church, then Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 will be familiar to you. If you're not so familiar with it, that's okay because we'll catch you up on what's taking place here. In Matthew 28, we get this unique uh, time frame of Jesus, this very special 40-day period. You see, what's happened is that Jesus has already died on the cross. He's been buried in a tomb. He is resurrected, but he has not yet returned to heaven. After Jesus resurrects from the grave, he spends about 40 days with his followers, just giving them some final encouragement and instruction, helping to pass the torch of his ministry and mission onto his followers, who are going to carry it on after he's gone. And at the end of 40 days, Jesus will return to heaven, whereas we're told in other parts of the New Testament that he sits on the throne of heaven, that God has given, raised his name above all names, that Jesus has put all of the world as a footstool under Jesus' feet. It's not literal. It's just a picture of the reality of Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven and all of the world is in subjection uh, to him, that he's in control of everything, waiting until the day that he returns once again to finish what he started. 
But in Matthew 28, we're in this unique 40-day transition period between Jesus has already resurrected from the grave but has not yet returned to heaven. And he's spending some time with his followers, just giving them the last final things they need to carry on his ministry and his mission once he does leave. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, this is all of his followers at the time, all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus here is giving these final instructions to his followers and saying, I'm sending you to go and to make disciples of all nations. Now, how do we know that this is a purpose that Jesus has given to all of the church and not just those standing there today? Like, how do we know that this is beyond just for these people and for the whole church? Well, we'll continue. If we look at Acts chapter 1, this is still in that same 40-day transition period. So in Matthew, we're reading his account of some of the last 40 days that Jesus was with his followers. In Acts, you may not know this, but Acts is actually part two of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is part one, Acts is part two. They're written by the same author. And, uh, and so this is his telling of, at least at this part, that transition period between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. And here's what Jesus tells his followers once again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we're not going to get into the geography of this statement before. We've done that on multiple occasions here at Element Church. But Jerusalem is the city in which everyone is currently located, as Jesus says these words. And we can see that Jesus continually expands outward from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Judea, which is not a city, it's a region. Samaria, which is another region to the north. And then to the ends of the earth, which really encompasses everything else. Now, here's what's interesting. If Jesus' words in Matthew 28 were only intended for those followers who were standing there listening to him, then anyone who did not leave where they were and go to all the nations of the earth would be directly disobeying the commandment of Jesus. But then what we see is that Jesus... Despite telling that group, you are going to go and make disciples of all nations, now tells them, some of you are going to stay, and some of you are going to go. Some of you will go a short distance, some a a little longer, and some of you are going to go great distances. And so what we see is from the perspective of what Jesus is teaching his followers is that the call to go to the nations is a collective call for the entire group. But for this entire group, a few, some will be raised up to go to very far places away 
as a representation of the whole group. That as a group, they're going to reach the nations. And as a group, they're going to send some to the ends of the earth while some stay home where they are. The call to reach the nations is a call to the entire church. Recognizing that some will go and some will carry on the ministry and the mission of Jesus at home. So here's what I want to do. I want to be very, very clear with you today. I want to be very, very honest with you and upfront. Isn't it weird when people say that? Because it almost implies that they weren't before. That's not true. But here's what I want to do. Normally, I try to build a climax to the messages on Sunday so that the big main point is sort of revealed at the end, and that's kind of how we land the plane and end the message. But I'd rather just tell you what the point of today's message is now so you can be mindful of it, prayerful of it, scared of it if you need to. Here's the purpose of today's message. It's to challenge every one of you in this room to pray and ask God, am I called to go to the nations? Jesus gave a call to the entire church. To the whole group. Recognizing that some would be called to stay and to serve at home, but some would be raised up and called to go. To go to another region, to go to another community, or to go to the ends of the earth. And my question for you today is, are you called to go? The broad general call is for all of us, but some of us will be raised up to go. So I have every intention of ending today's message by getting you to seriously think and consider and to ask the Lord, do you want me to go? Now I get the scary aspect of what that might mean for your life. I know what it would mean for you to go to a new part of the world you've never been to. A place where you'd have to learn a new language and a new culture. A place that would require you to sell everything you own here and depending on where he called, your standard of living may be better or it may be much worse. Irregardless of the cost, would you be willing to say yes if God said go? Before you even know whether he's saying go, would you be willing to say yes now? Yes, Lord, the answer is yes. Now are you calling me to stay or to go? And so that's what we're doing today. So there's a couple questions that I want to wrestle with. And the first is this. Where does the personal call to the nations come from? So we know that there's a generic call for everyone. We as a group are called to the nations. And in order to do that as a group, we will send some. So where does the personal call to the nations that God might be calling you, not in generic everyone, not just the church and the people, not someone else, but how would you know if God was calling you? Let me show you some examples in Scripture of how people have wrestled with this call to go. 
This is at the very end of Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul was a missionary. Um, He hated Jesus, hated everything Jesus stood for, until he met Jesus face to face one day and it changed his life forever. He went from being the greatest destroyer of the church to the greatest builder of the church and he devoted the rest of his life to traveling a route throughout the Roman Empire, starting new churches and sharing the gospel. And in the end of the letter, Paul is actually telling his Roman audience, hey, my intent is to make a pit stop in Rome to come see you, but I'm not going to stay long because God has called me to Spain. And I'm going to take the gospel even further west. And look what he says here. And thus I made it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, here he gives us a quote, those who have never, heard, who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul is just trying to communicate the motivation that he has for taking the gospel to Spain, where as of yet, no Christian missionaries had ever gone before. At this point in the first century, as far as we know, the gospel had gone as far west as Rome. That was sort of the western frontier of the Christian movement of the time, or at least on the Italian peninsula. And Paul wanted to keep spreading the gospel west. Now here's what's interesting. Paul's motivation for his, and the foundation of his calling is rooted in Scripture. Because here, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 59. Now, what we would have expected Paul to do as the foundation and basis of his calling to the nations, to taking the gospel to new places, we would have expected him to tell us that his motivation comes from that first moment he met Jesus. We read about that story in Acts chapter 9. Paul is actually on a traveling convoy on this ancient, to this ancient city, Damascus. Paul's intent is to get there and to find every Christian he can, arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem so they can be tried and prosecuted under Jewish law. Paul had devoted his life to destroying the Christian church because he hated Jesus and everything he stood for. And it was on the road to Damascus that Jesus appeared to him. And from Paul's perspective, it was this great blinding light that knocked him to the ground and took away his eyesight. And as we read the whole story in Acts chapter 9, what happens is Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then he tells Paul, and he used another individual to help communicate this this message, that Paul, I am setting you apart Because you are now going to take my message, my gospel, the good news about who I am, Paul, and you are going to take it to all of the nations. You are going to take it to the Gentiles, which is anyone who's not a Jew. Which is interesting because Paul was the most passionate Jew of the first century who devoted his life to preserving the purity of his Jewish faith as he understood it. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to make you the greatest missionary to non-Jews the world has ever seen. That was Paul's conversion and calling story. But when he tells the Roman Christians 
about his passion for taking the gospel to new places. He doesn't tell them his, the foundation of his calling is not in his own experience. The foundation of his calling is in Scripture. He hearkens back to verses of the Old Testament that were written around 600 years before Paul's time. Some words that God gave to Isaiah 600 years prior Paul says, that's my passion. That is my foundation for my calling. Because God is doing something that those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. That is my motivation. My passion and my motivation is rooted in Scripture, not just my own experience. We see this again in the life of Paul in Acts 15. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel They're going to new places, and as was their custom, because they were Jews, the first thing they would do is they would walk into a new city, they'd go to the Jewish synagogue and start preaching there, because they knew those people. And then after a while, they would transition to preaching and sharing the gospel to non-Jews. But the people in this particular city in Acts 13 are not too excited to see Paul. They're about as passionate against Jesus as Paul used to be. It says this in verse 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying to these Jews in the synagogue, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Notice, here they're quoting from Isaiah chapter 42, chapter 45, and chapter 49, but they recognize that in this calling that the Lord has used it to call Paul and Barnabas. He said, the Lord has commanded us. Even though those words were given to Isaiah 600 years before, Paul and Barnabas had experienced A special calling from God as God used the scriptures to convict and to embolden and impassion. So some of you may be wondering, where does the personal call to the nations come from? How would I know if God was calling? Well, one of the ways and one of the predominant ways that that happens is when you begin to read scriptures about going to the nations, about sharing the gospel, and it's as if the Lord is saying, I wrote this for you. And maybe that'll happen to you today. Maybe as we read some of these passages, the Lord will speak and convict and say, this is for you. These words may have been written hundreds or thousands of years ago for someone else, but right now they're for you. So we talked about where this personal call to the nations comes from. And now I want to ask this question, why is the call to the nations so important? We're going to return to Paul's letter in Romans, and we're going to start in verse 9. We're we're going to eventually make our way to verse 17, but we'll we'll take it in smaller chunks. In verse 9 of chapter 10, Paul says this in Romans, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Surprise, surprise, Paul's quoting from Isaiah again. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek or Jew and non-Jew. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He quotes Joel chapter 2 there. Different than Isaiah, but still an Old Testament prophet. But I want you to hear this. The first calling we all receive is a call to belief and repentance. That the Lord may call you to the nations, to a special service or ministry. But the first call we all receive is the call to believe. And maybe this would just be a good moment to hit pause. Give you a moment to reflect about have you received that call to believe? Is Jesus calling you to believe right now? To believe in your heart and confess with your mouth in prayer that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, that he reigned supreme, that he defeated sin and death and the grave, and that eternal life is found in him and him alone. But as Paul tells this church in Rome about the importance of believing and calling out to Jesus, look what he says next. How then will they call in, on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, another Isaiah quote, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul says, look at this. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus reconciles us back to our creator. We are broken and lost and Jesus will restore us. All we must do is believe in him and call out to him and confess to him with our mouths. But he says, how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear unless someone says something, someone tells them, someone preaches? And how will someone preach unless they're sent out? Then let's look at just a couple more verses from Romans. Because I think it's an important point to address. Then this response, this anticipated response that Paul knows is coming from his audience. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul anticipates the objection of his audience. Yeah, Paul, that sounds great, but what if I'm sent and I preach and they don't believe? What if they reject me? And what Paul does is he hearkens back to Isaiah again, and this was Isaiah's very cry 600 years before when God said, hey, I need you to deliver my message to my people. And Isaiah says, Lord, what, what happens if they don't believe? And God basically tells Isaiah they probably won't. But that's not up to you. What's up to you is that your answer is yes, that your heart is willing, that you're obedient, and you do what I've called you to do, and you let me take care of the rest. Paul anticipates this objection by his audience. What if they don't believe me? What if they reject me or the message I come to preach? Paul essentially says they probably will, or they might. Some will. But faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
But some will believe, and faith will only come when they get the chance to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus. In light of this objection, Paul has dealt with this in other churches that he's led before. In the church in the ancient city of Corinth on the modern-day Greek peninsula, there was a division in the church. See, there were a couple pastors there. One of them was Paul. There was another guy named Apollos. And there was this division in the church where some of them were like, hey, Paul's my man. I like Paul. I like his preaching style. I like the way he dresses. I think he's cool. He's smart. I follow Paul. And then other people were like, no, 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 no. I follow Apollos because he's cooler. He's more entertaining. I don't know what they said. That we, I'm making this up. But, but there was this division between I follow Paul or I follow Apollos. And Paul was going to have none of it. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians. He writes them a letter to confront them. And he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to, uh, to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul is telling his audience, it doesn't matter who shared the gospel with you. Because in the end, we didn't have any real effect. God gave the growth. It was my job to plant the seeds. It was Apollos water to come and, uh, a job to come and water it. But in the end, God gave the growth. Yes, if you're called to go, you will preach and you will be rejected by some. You will. And you have no control over it. God may be sending you to plant. God may be sending you to water. But God is not sending you to bring about growth. That's his business. Whether the gospel takes root in someone's heart is outside of your control. One more passage I want us to look at. Luke chapter 10-2. Jesus, this is before his death on the cross, and he's actually sending out over 70 of his followers to go do ministry, to go share the gospel and to go serve others. As he's sending them out, this is what he says. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus was telling his followers, listen, I'm sending you out, but this is not enough. We need more. So pray that the Lord would raise up new people to be sent out. To work and to serve. He said, the harvest is ready. God has brought about the growth. And he's recruiting more laborers to go and to serve. Is he raising you up to go and to serve? And even if he's calling you to stay home, then you still have a job to do. And your job is to pray for the Lord to raise up new people who will go. We're all involved in this together. So I told you the purpose of this message today. Let me tell you a little bit of background behind this series, why we did it. Sometime last year, I was hanging out with a a big group of pastors and ministry leaders and one of the things that I'm 
very involved in is helping to equip and identify and assess and train future church planters, people who are coming to start new churches. And uh, we were talking about how many more church planters, that's what we call people who start new churches, because taking that whole idea of what Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So we call people who start new churches church planters, and we were talking about the need for more church planters. And we were talking about where they were going to come from, about how we were going to find more. And as we were having this conversation, I felt this overwhelming sense of conviction that in the history of our church, I have never even asked if anyone in our church was called to start a new church, if anyone in our church was called to go into the mission field. How can I be looking for future church planters and helping to assess and train them when the next one might be sitting right here? And in that moment, I just had to repent and apologize for the Lord because I knew that I was guilty of not even asking, how can I be looking for more planters if we're not even starting the search here? And so I knew that we were going to talk about this to start this year, to raise up the call. God has given you gifts to serve and others and to glorify him so what are your gifts and how are you using them to serve god has called all of us to ministry to grow and build up the church so as a minister how are you growing and building up the church and god has called us as a people to go to the nations and as a people we will go by sending some and some of you may be those who are called to go I want the conviction of being called to ministry and, and to be called to potentially church planting and missions to come from Scripture. That's where it should be rooted. But let me give you some stats about the state and the need of more missionaries and church planters right now. This is a map from the International Mission Board, the missions agency that we support, of all the unreached unengaged people groups around the world. This means that they have no Christian presence among their entire people group. And as unreached, unengaged, that means there's not anyone who is currently trying to bring the gospel to that people group. There's 3,150 of them around the world. The Lord is working, though. The International Mission Board currently has 3,615 missionaries full-time around the world serving in communities at every corner of the earth. And there are some of our missionaries that we support who are working to make inroads into some of these people groups. 2020 is the most recent year that we have the full data for. Our missionaries led 144,322 people around the world to faith in Jesus. And through their work, they started over 18,000 new churches. But there is so much work to be done. In Revelation, we're given this picture of what it'll look like when all of us stand before the throne of Jesus one day. 
And the Bible describes that people from every tongue, nation, and tribe will be present there worshiping our Creator. We got some work to do to make sure that all these people groups are represented in heaven. The North American Mission Board is um, the church planting agency that we partner with and was actually who partnered with us to start this church and it's the agency that I work with to help identify and assess and train new church planters and these are the key cities in the country that they're focused on, Denver being one of them. The Lord may be calling you to go, maybe to the ends of the earth, to take the gospel to a language in which no one has ever shared the gospel in that language before, or maybe he's calling you to go across the street and start a new work. So the population of the United States, including all of its territories, is about 366 million. As best as we can identify through reasonable, accurate research, about 275 million of the 366 million are lost. Now looking at some data, half or more than half of our country may call themselves Christians, but the reality is those who are committed to following Jesus make up a much smaller minority. Just in the United States and its territories alone, there are 350 languages in our country. You don't always have to take a 20-hour plane ride to find people from a different culture and a different language who need to hear the gospel. In uh, 2020, our organization started 857 new churches What's really cool is that 60% of those were non-white or multi-ethnic congregations. And while 857 is cool and it's great, on average about 1,800 churches in the U.S. close their doors every year. Which means not just keeping up with population growth, we have to more than double the number of churches we're starting if we can ju just to maintain the same level and number of churches in our country. We need more laborers who are ready to go into the field. And maybe today the Lord is saying that's you. Listen, you don't have to have all the answers, okay? I, knew, I didn't know what I was doing. Elaine and I didn't know what we were doing when we started this church. We made a lot of mistakes. If I had to do it over differently, I don't want to do it again but I would do some things differently. Listen, I, I, you're not going to have all the answers when you say yes. God's not expecting you to. What he's expecting is an open heart that would say, yes, Lord, I'll go wherever you call me to go, whether it's across the street or across the globe. The answer is yes. Is that your answer today? And then it's God's business as to what task he may be calling you to. He may be calling you to stay or he may be calling you to go. Let's pray. Lord, I know that more than anything, what you want from each of us is a heart that's here to say yes. And I know how scary that can be.
and how intimidating it can be. But all you have ever really asked from us is a life that just says yes. Yes, Lord, I'll honor you with the way I live my life. Yes, Lord, I'll honor you with the way I work in my business. Yes, Lord, I'll honor you the way I serve my family. And a heart that says, yes, Lord, I will go wherever you call me to go. Across the street or across the globe. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your eyes closed for me. I don't want you to look around and worry about the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you. I don't want you to worry about what you're going to eat for lunch in a little bit. I don't want you to worry about what tasks and things you're going to take care of this afternoon. I want you to be in the moment. And in this moment, I just want you to ask the Lord, what is he calling you to? And today, he might just be calling you to belief. For the first time, a call to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Maybe that's your call. Maybe your call is to share the gospel with someone in your house, someone at work, someone across the street. Maybe your call right now is to step up and use your gifts to serve others and glorify him. And maybe that call is to go. And that's only something the Lord can tell you to do. I can't. Your spouse can't. Your parents can't. Your friends can't. Your boss can't. Only the Lord can tell you. So would you just ask him? And if you're comfortable, just say, Lord, the answer is yes. What are you asking? And I'm going to give you a minute to just reflect on that and to pray.